And welcome to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts. My name is Dr. Colin Dray. I'm lecturer in literature here at Campion College. On December 21st, 1937, the Walt Disney Animation Studio released Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to critical and commercial acclaim. The film was a cultural touchstone, validating animation as a legitimate cinematic art form and introducing viewers to some of the recurring tropes that would come to play out over many of the studio's subsequent releases. What followed was a procession of narratives from a variety of sources reworked through the Disney formula, from Pinocchio and the Little Mermaid to riffs on Arthurian legend in Sword of the Stone and Sherlock Holmes and the Great Mouse Detective, and a seemingly endless wellspring of wide-eyed fairy tale princesses. But after eight decades and innumerable iterations, Disney now seems intent on mining its own legacy for material, turning to remakes and reworkings of their own texts with live-action remakes of Cinderella and the Jungle Book, revisionist counter-narratives like Maleficent, and nostalgic retreads like Christopher Robin. And with the threat of Disney property-specific streaming services looming on the horizon, the little animation studio that once timidly wished upon a star is now a mass-media behemoth so ubiquitous that it perhaps risks becoming the snake that eats its own tail. To discuss this recent spate of Disney reimaginings of their own work, I'm joined today by Anna Hitchings, a Campion graduate, current media and communications officer, and... A producer of this podcast. So thank you for joining me. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to be here. Lovely to be on this side of the of the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were actually the one who raised this topic. So I'm curious what it is that struck you about this current surge of Disney referring to itself or, or uh, reworking its own material. Well, you know, I mean, like most most people my age, I'm I'm in my early thirties. I grew up watching Disney, and uh, it's been a it's been a very um, seminal part of my education as a child. And also later, I still love watching Disney movies. But I have, I, I guess, I, I guess I could say I have potentially a few issues with um, the sort of reimagining that Disney has has started creating, um, particularly with the live action remakes, which many of which I was excited about, but kind of left the cinema feeling. Uh, feeling like something was lacking i suppose and and i just thought it might be interesting to discuss that and when when you say the live detail. action remakes you're, you're talking specifically about those say cinderella beauty and the beast the jungle book the specific remakings mm. of those original yeah yeah movies. and and also i mean not just the remakes but also as you mentioned before the sort of like the new take on an old story like Maleficent, you know, for Sleeping Beauty. Right, it's like counter-narrative yeah, reinterpretation. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So what is it, well, firstly, because uh, I, I do think, obviously, the, the counter-narrative thing has a whole history stretching back probably before um, Disney, but, but certainly this live-action remake thing, this is a very peculiar and apparently very profitable mm. uh, <laughs> direction that the, the company is taking. So do you recall what the first one you saw was and why that kind of empty feeling stole over you? Well, I mean, well, to be fair, I mean, we've probably mentioned that it's not just in the last you know decade or so that Disney has been doing live action remakes. I mean, they did do, um, they did a live action remake um, of 101 Dalmatians um, as far That's back right, as 1996. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And that was a okay. great, that was a great film. I love that. I've never seen that. Oh, really? No. <laughs> it's good. It's good. And the sequel, yeah, 102. That one's probably not as worth mentioning. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> but no, I actually don't remember if I saw 102 Dalmatians. If I did, it was obviously very forgettable well i imagine it, it is of the quality of a godfather too it really you know, yeah. fills the story out in a way that 
is necessary. Um, but to answer your question, the first one I probably saw was the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland ah, remake yeah. in 2010. And yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, definitely left me... F- I mean, look, I'm actually a huge Alice in Wonderland fan me, anyway. Me too. I love, love, love Lewis Carroll and I love Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. And so um, one thing that has always bothered me about any um, adaptations of Alice in Wonderland is that none of them really have recreated the story. They've always recreated parts of the story or taken the sort of tropes or ideas mm. within the story and then uh, and then done something different with it. And that's always bothered me because I, I think the story is so great as it is. I mean, why not just make it as you know make yeah. the story the same way as it is in the book why like there's always changes and so and and never more so was the case with that as um, with Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland which is just such a far cry from the book I, I could see they were trying to be a little bit edgy and interesting with it but I it just didn't work for me and I just left the cinema feeling very empty indeed no absolutely I mean I have my own beef with this because I'm not really <laughs> sure I'm the biggest Burton fan in general but mm. it, it did just seem to be a, an empty aesthetic exercise there was barely any narrative um, certainly nothing that was was uh, beholden to or really, I would argue, respectful to the original work. But it mm. just seemed to be, yeah, visual spectacular. And once you've had your fill of Tim Burton's particular visuals, not really that much else to offer. No, and I think we're seeing this in so much in film in general these days. I mean, there's just, you know, I think particularly since The Lord of the Rings, there's just been so much... Tread been, gently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, no one's a bigger fan of Tolkien than me. Oh, okay. uh, since The Lord of the Rings um, really revolutionised CG technology, we've just been seeing this just exploding across Hollywood. Mm. And nowadays I think that there's a there's so much investment in making a film look good that a lot of the rest of the film such as plot character development other yeah. slightly important things are kind of left to the wayside a little bit I think no absolutely it's almost like they, they go to the uh, CGI departments and ask them what they can do before they bother actually writing the script and also exactly what costume can we put Johnny Depp in because mm. apparently that <laughs> seems to be the one ubiquitous element so you, you mentioned uh, obviously the Alice in Wonderland fairly generic one-dimensional kind of take on mm. the original source material how about cinderella did you see cinderella look i actually quite like cinderella yeah? look if i'm being really honest ever after will always live in my heart as the number one cinderella story adaptation <laughs> that is the me. drew barrymore that's the drew barrymore okay. one yeah, and yeah. it's and i will not hear a negative kid, word against it <laughs> yes i was a 90s kid uh, I actually quite like Cinderella. Um, I've actually, just in preparation for this podcast, I did look at a few different different sort of reviews and takes on these live-action remakes, and there were a few that weren't quite so um, positive. Um, one person said that they didn't really like how they'd made the character of Cinderella a bit more bookish and a bit more learned um, because it left her, just simply for the reason that because she's a bit more perhaps, to, you know, not intelligent or a bit more aware she could have just sort of upped and left her surroundings but the fact that she stayed in there just made her seem a bit more um, passive and um, useless than perhaps she might have been in the original um, cartoon but so it's better that she's stupid and psychologically dominated in the servitude than it is that she's intelligent and psychologically broken. I think they were just pointing out that trying to change the trying to develop the character might actually have some repercussions on the plot which may or may not be true and I'm not sure how I feel about that but no I actually quite like Cinderella um, and, and this is the Cinderella that has with the Lily James anthropomorphic playing. rats everywhere. That, like, yeah. that, that was in the original cartoon. I've not seen. But the... they had those funny little squeaky voices oh. in the original one, which I, <laughs> I liked. Them. Cat. Okay. <laughs> it's like 
like 90% of the film, if I recall correctly. <laughs> so they're still in the live action version. Yeah, but they don't, I don't think they talk. Okay. Look, I haven't, I, I have Good. seen Cinderella a couple of times. I haven't seen it recently. Now, my biggest bugbear though, when, it, when, when I mentioned at the start that I had a few issues, my biggest bugbear has got to be Maleficent. And the reason okay. for that is that... So now, But now we're moving into reappropriation. Uh, yeah. So with this film, I felt that they there was a very deliberate departure, not just from the original story, but also just from the fairy tale tropes that have existed forever. Mm. And that Disney itself, you know, has done quite a lot to to recreate and to, and to, and to further along. And, and uh, we should just put it in context. So Maleficent was a 2014 film starring Angelina Jolie. It was a reworking of the Sleeping Beauty story, specifically yes. uh, viewed from the perspective of Maleficent or the evil witch in the yeah. original tale. But it was a uh, more sympathetic version of her Maleficent's the hero, basically. Yeah, exactly. She's the hero. She was the bad guy. The bad guy is now the hero. And I think that is just so wrong for so many okay, reasons. Okay, okay. So, on the one hand, you know, for starters, Aurora, who is the Sleeping Beauty, was actually my favourite Disney princess through childhood. So, mess with her at your peril, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. But also, just, I felt that they deliberately turned the whole, not just the tropes, but the whole story on its head. And I mean, Maleficent is such a great bad guy. She's such a great villain. She, her, her name literally means evil. <laughs> so, um, and she worked uh, and, you know, and then she turns into the dragon and there's, you know, there's a whole lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk actually just about um, just the, the mythological significance of, of that alone. And, and, uh, and I just think it's a great story. And watching Maleficent, I was just, I just found myself being disturbed the whole way through watching the film. I actually went and took my mum to see it. We both, like, the, you know, the film and the credits rolled and I just was like, oh, I just don't feel, something was wrong about that. I just right. don't feel quite right about this. And I, I didn't enjoy the experience. And and, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, with all of these remakes, there's a lot of backstory that they tend to sort of fill yeah. in to sort of make them a little bit different from the original story. You thought you knew the whole story, but here's the, yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, and you thought that you didn't care about Maleficent's backstory. Well, guess what? You don't, and you still don't <laughs> after watching the movie. I mean, nobody really wanted to see her little Avatar-esque um, <laughs> CGI fairyland and, and, and how she was, you know, betrayed by her love. I, I mean, the whole thing, oh. it also has some really awkward themes considering it's a children's story. This is what this is what I've heard, and to, to be fair, I haven't seen it, but there is a fairly intense uh, rape metaphor. Yeah, she's fair, yeah, she's essentially, you know, roofied and then her wings, she's she just wings, yeah, she flies. Of and course. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and and uh, so this guy that she falls in love with, that she thinks loves her, basically gives her a sleeping pill. I'm not sure if that's meant to be a metaphor. And chops off her wings, essentially. I I, I do imagine that the scriptwriter pushed their seat back from the table when they came up with that. Yeah. uh, Oh, sleeping, yes. It was really awkward and it had a very adult feel. And then Mm. there's this big battle where she... I can't even remember actually, but not Sam because I get it wrong. Essentially, but he's the king. He's the king, the father oh, of Sleeping right. Beauty. So yeah, oh. yeah. So it really messes. It come. It kind of ruins the like that that beautiful innocent story yeah. that you remember from your childhood. And I remember all like the whole way through the movie. All I can think was, I just want to watch Sleeping Beauty. I just want to. I yeah. want to rid the poison out of my system. I want to. You know, I want to get. And literally that night, I got home and I opened my computer and. So sure enough, Sleeping Beauty was on YouTube. So I just watched the whole Sleeping Beauty from beginning to end, and right. I just I was like, oh, I feel clean again. Oh, that's you know? good. So it did work. It didn't. It didn't permanently no. change your. Okay. No, but the biggest, but perhaps the biggest um, issue of all, and this came up in Frozen, interestingly. Um, so I know, you know, Frozen was a 
huge, massive success. And I actually quite like Frozen. I like Frozen. Um, and I, I initially, I actually quite liked what, just sort of switching to Frozen for a second, I actually quite liked what they did sort of turning the whole a true love's kiss, you know, what is an act of true love on mm. its head? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, saving, sibling love. Celebrate. Sibling love. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but I've since come to wonder if that was necessary. And I, I, don't, I haven't really made up my mind about this, but I, I have since come to wonder if that was necessarily a good thing in insofar as this also takes away from the traditional fairy tale um, trope and role that we've come to know and love. Right. And we see this much more obviously and um, not quite so sophisticatedly, if I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> Liberal arts graduate right here, making up words, <laughs> done in Maleficent where um, she's... A, she, so initially she wants to try and bring about the downfall of, of Sleeping Beauty because she's the daughter of this man who mutilated her yeah. <laughs> in her youth. Yeah. Um, but then she ends up loving her as a mother and... Uh, Aurora. And, yes. And so, and they... Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, okay. and then you see the prince coming and he he looks like he's about 15 years old. <laughs> and so when he comes and kisses her, it looks ridiculous. Yeah. Because it's this, you know, these two tweens just, you know, um, together. And, and of course, he, that's not true love. And so he can't wake her up. But then Maleficent comes in and she really, even though she was opposed to her all the time, allegedly, she's really developed this deep love for her. And then she kisses her like on the forehead or the cheek or something like that. And that's when Sleeping Beauty wakes my sleep because that was the kiss of true love. And I just thought that right. was such a deliberate uh, overturning of the original story and also just what makes fairy tales fairy tales that I just found that just so ridiculous. And it just made me quite angry, actually. Yeah. But it was but it was just so... I just didn't like it because I felt there was a very clear agenda behind it to turn to, to turn the fairy tale on its head. And I didn't... And I mean, but apart to, from to, it, to, almost like it was scientifically designed to take a trope and flip it. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. trying to just be a story. It wasn't right. just trying to tell a story. And I mean, that's what Disney is all about. It's about... It's, yeah. it, they yeah. tell stories and they tell... Or have, you know, in the past told them extraordinarily well. And that's what we love about them. And, and yeah. I think the reason we love them for that reason is there's just so much truth. And, and, there's, and obviously there's the reason, you know, parents and, and nannies told children fairy tales in the first place was to impart you know a good message and uh and then when you try and turn it on its head and it doesn't fulfill its purpose for a start but i yeah. think it's also just really deeply disingenuous well i do I, and again i i can't i can't speak to maleficent but i i do i think i do really see what you mean because the, the reason i liked frozen so much is because you're, you're right it, it, it flips your expectations but the whole film uh, take the damn snowman out of the equation because it just drives me insane but i actually every- liked all oh, <laughs> you're losing credibility <laughs> uh, but everything except the snowman i adored because the, the the film itself thematically is about expectation and presumption false presumption so everybody presumes that elsa her, her power must be evil so they treat her evil anna presumes that love at first sight is a real thing so she you know and so the the entire film is about upending the audience's expectation as well. Mm. And you, you come into it with these presumptions and these tropes and conventions in your head so that the film can cure you of them in a way. Or if not cure you, at, at least utilise them as a storytelling technique to subvert expectation. Whereas it sounds like with Maleficent, and, and perhaps this is uh, what you're speaking to, well, you've already described wonderfully, so I'm not, I'm not a trying to, to rearrange your thoughts, but just if I'm understanding what you're saying, it it's less about utilising 
your understanding of the material and more about just completely upending it needlessly and just trying going, to you sell a different narrative your... yeah exactly and, that, and and you're right and that and frozen absolutely did do that it did upend our expectations in a very deliberate way but i think it did a, i think it was um was very sophisticated in the way that it did it and except it was very... for the snowman <clears throat> except for the snowman all right i'll, I'll concede that the much damn <laughs> but shut and I up d- about summer <laughs> Anyway, I um I know, but it's ironic. It's cute. Um, I did like that actually, and I and I, there's no doubt that you get a lot of joy out of hearing a Disney in a Disney you know princess film hearing Disney characters say you can't marry a man you just met today. <laughs> um, I mean that's obviously meant yeah. to be very funny for obvious reasons, but um but at the same time what I didn't quite love was this there was a sort of a PC element of a. You don't need a man in your life. I you know, love you... that though. Oh no, I love it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Because you're saying that, and you're a guy. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Just in general, I mean, I would have, I would have said this before this became a fact, but I also have two daughters, so it's like, <laughs> yes, watch Frozen, please, please understand that you don't have to be seeking for like true love and uh, you know affirmation. No, and that's from, fine. You know. That's fine for a film, but this is a fairy tale. And fairy tales, I mean, mm-hmm. fairy tales, you know, they're there to, to tell these stories and they're there to actually encapsulate these myths and these truths. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. you know, you need to find a man and that's a truth, but, uh, but it, yeah, and perhaps I haven't quite sorted out my, uh, my, my, my thoughts as, as clearly as I could on this point. And this is, I, look, I'm divided. I'm actually divided over mm. for it. And you can probably hear that in the way that I'm describing it. But something, I guess all I can say is um, something about it just rubs me up the wrong way. Right. Well, I mean, I mean perhaps it's, as you said, um, bringing that experience of Maleficent into it where it seems like there is is maybe a, a fear that there's more of a statement being made than a story being told. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. basically my, that's my beef. And I, and I feel that to some extent, not all of the new films, um, uh, not even, I'm not just talking about the live action remakes, but also just the, um, you know, just the, the new Disney films in general, uh, Disney, Pixar, whatever. Um, but I do feel with some of them, there is a little bit that's coming in. I felt it a bit with Beauty and the Beast as well. Okay. Can we talk a bit, of, because Beauty and the Beast just seemed pointless to me i did not because i adore the original animated version uh be it a, a metaphor for stockholm syndrome or whatever you wanted <laughs> to call it i adored it I, th- I think it's really fantastic i thought it was a, a fully developed uh you know a female protagonist was presented in that one unlike the i've got a whole thing with the the little mermaid which i won't get into <laughs> but here it, with bell you actually have a, a fully rounded character you have a, an, an interesting relationship between her and the beast. You have this whole discussion about, you know, fear mongering and the the tragedy of the uh, of the reaction of the townspeople to the beast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then the film seemed, to, the live action film, I should say, seemed to do nothing with that. It was mm. just a, they just added on another half an hour that seemed totally redundant and slowed down all the songs. It just seemed really pointless, even to the point of recreating literally the the scenes from the animation in cgi it was, it was like the whole film again but done worse exactly yeah. yeah no i couldn't agree more uh yeah i from this one look i've i've talked to my friends about this and i'm not being too harsh you know i was <laughs> i rewatched it again recently thinking maybe i was wrong maybe it actually has more to it and then i watched it again the second time and i was just thinking no you know what i just i i don't see the point of this film mm-hmm. i mean i do see the point it made a lot yeah, yeah. of money bang <laughs> the, the point yeah. and, but i mean i think that that kind of brings up a, a broader question here i mean what do we think of uh, 
of, of these live action remakes. I mean, what is the point of them? Exactly, yeah. I mean, surely if you're going to reboot an entire story, you're going to bring something... I mean, you're going to... It shouldn't be the exact same thing replicated. And certainly if it is, it better be done at least as well, if not yeah. better. But so well, you'd hope so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, surely they should be bringing something new to the table or or there's a different perspective. And um, I mean, I think that they went too far the other extreme with the, Alice, with the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland um, films where they... Seems yeah. almost to be going out of their way to make it as little like the source material as possible. But I think that Beauty and the Beast um, falls into this problem as well. And uh, there's just, there's something a little bit, maybe they found a little bit harsh, there's something a little bit soulless about it. Yes, just, yes. You know, yes. there's just, a, there's just there's, it's like they're going through the motions and they're, they're doing all the scenes, but there's just something lacking. It's a bit empty and it's like they were doing it with the, this will make lots of money, this will please lots of people. It's like they're making it for that nostalgia value, but you don't get, yes. you don't get the fulfillment, the satisfaction of that actually be able to feel that nostalgia because it's doing the same thing in a worse way and it almost felt like watching it it almost felt like the the, the director uh, writers everyone uh, involved felt like they had a gun to their head you know the, mm. the, if you change too much then the fans that you're trying to appease are going to be furious so you can't put your own stamp on it or, or alter anything that's beloved and in a film that's what like 90 probably not even like 85 minutes long where children have seen it over and over and over again every moment of it is precious you really can't change anything so all you can do is expand it out with a couple of extra crappy songs that no one cares nobody cares and 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 more useless backstory yeah you know did you want to know what happened to bell's mother probably not but we're going to tell you anyway i mean nobody really really wants to know this and this brings up another problem with a live action version of a car so there's so much more breadth for suspension of disbelief in a cartoon when you try and put that like when you try and sort of remake that live you realize it's actually quite creepy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know i mean like your oh, your man. teacups moving in your hand and talking to you as you're trying to drink yeah. it like there's just there something are thousands of plates too where do all those people go yeah i know or, or even in the cartoon all of chip's little oh, brothers and man. sisters sleeping in the cupboard you never know what happened to them so Not i mean cool. but that's but it's fine because it's such a beautiful story and it's told yeah. so well and just sort of going back to the sort of mythological element that i mentioned before i mean yes okay stockholm syndrome you know potentially aside it it is it is a really beautiful story and i think it does strike the hearts of of all of us because there is something really true in it and it is about you know you know not judging appearances and about finding the true beauty in people and also drawing the good out of people by being a bit self-sacrificial yourself and i think that's really i think those are all really important messages and i just didn't feel like i got any of that from the live action version and i was really look being a big downton abbey fan i was very very (laughs) excited i'm I'm putting it all on the table here i was very excited about seeing dan stevens play um the beast but even he was just a bit forgettable and yeah and i don't know if this is unfair but i found Emma Watson's performance just so I just careful. Oh, I really disliked her. Oh, really? I thought she was miscast essentially. I, I didn't oh. think that she really encapsulated Belle. She's very pretty. She's like, there's no doubt she's very pretty. Is she Belle, the beauty of you know the century? But more than that, she just. I felt like it was. I was watching it, and I was really trying to be objective about this. It didn't feel like I was watching Belle. I felt like I was watching Emma Watson playing Belle. It was just. It was like her personality or her character. Okay. Being yeah. kind of shoehorned into the character of Belle, and I, that I think you might be, yeah, distracted you might be right me the whole way through the film, and yeah. that annoyed me. Well, and and I think that maybe that's why I gave her a pass is because I'm <laughs> I'm very comfortable with them bringing in that Hermione Granger, you know, Emma Watson baggage in there. I thought, okay, fine, that that'll be Belle, that, that's okay. But as to your discussion of the the Beast, yeah, I thought the um, 
the CGI was terrible. Mm. And, and and you should see what he looked like without the CGI. It was <laughs> what while they were filming it. Yeah, because he had this, he had this mocap, like this motion capture oh, suit, man. and he like he looked like like those you know like those American footballers, the um gridiron. Well, that's yeah. why her acting was bad. She's like well, working with a gigantic muppet. Oh, and he. <laughs> Looks so bad. Nice. So, you know, to be fair, props to Emma Watson for not just <laughs> bursting out laughing every single scene they filmed together. But just the two of them were just, I don't know if they, I don't know, honestly don't even know if they even had any chemistry. I, I really think they didn't. And I, and again, for a, for a film that's about overlooking appearances and, and you know, <laughs> seeing the depth within, I thought that CGI really got in the way of that. It was also a very, like, very diverse cast. Um, this time around, I mean, just like looking at the original version do, compared to this. Do you mean the terrible <clears throat> accent that Ewan McGregor is doing? <laughs> no, no, I just mean, uh, just, just in general, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, it was, a, it was a very multicultural time in France, apparently. Oh, right, right. Well, <laughs> no, just all these things they put in, you're like, okay, you know, you got to like tick the PC, you know, oh, boxes like and that, stuff, though. but it just, you like that? <laughs> I guess, but I mean, again, I find that distracting because I'm like, but really? Also, you, you're talking really to somebody who is a massive fan of Doctor Who and, the, you know, oh, Doctor Who, Doctor you just have to accept that you're, you're going to meet actors and people of different cultures in Pompeii. That just makes no sense, you know. I'm totally mm-hmm. fine with it. <laughs> best actor for the best. Although I would question uh, the definition of best actor. As I said, I love Ewan McGregor, but my God, don't let the man do a French accent. That well, was terrible. you know, what's funny is, so his wife, who unfortunately he's actually split from now, but his wife, who he was still married to at the time, is actually French. Oh, and really? I've heard him talk about this. Apparently he got on set and then realized he couldn't actually do a French accent. And so he did his best and then he was, he was trying to like, you know, accentuate his R's, oh, you know, and man. then and then apparently they just said, no, just don't, just don't do that. So <laughs> he said he stop. tried to do a French accent but without the, you know, a factor and he said he just ended up sounding Mexican. Like, oh, man. Be Arrogant, but anyway, yeah, and also just going back to the CGI thing for a second. That's the yeah. other thing I found distracting about Beauty. I felt like it was just constantly trying to wow the audience with yes. these amazing special effects and the whole. The, speaking of that scene, be our guest. That whole scene, I just remember being like feeling that way in the cartoon and feeling like. Just stop yeah. trying to like shove it in my face. It's just too much. And literally, did, do they have a 3D version? Because it looks like one of those oh, films where. Not. But honestly, you know, there was that spate of 3D films where it was all about trying to throw things out of the screen at you, and it had that oh, kind yeah. of a feel yeah. of, a, of film where there are needless sort of wide shots and zoom ins and coming. It was the flash for the sake of flash, exactly. And yeah. I and I didn't like that. Which again. In a story that's meant to be about seeing through the superficial into the depth, you know, that seems like the wrong message to... Yeah, but yeah, anyway. I mean, one thing I will say for Beauty and the Beast is I I really loved Gaston. I've forgotten his name. Luke Evans. Yeah, Luke Evans. I thought he was great. Yes. He was great. He was a manifestation of that character. He was was Gaston, and he's about the only really positive thing I I can take away from that (laughs) film. Apart from the fact that, look, you know, if I'm being really, really just nice and just objective, I guess, it's just, it was was a piece of entertainment, which I suppose it was what it was meant to be. Yeah. And it raked in quite a lot of money for Disney, which is kind of disappointing. and and, and I know. It's sad though because it means that they um they're just going to keep making these because they you know it's quote unquote successful and indeed they are I mean uh, what do they have coming up there's like a Mulan so and a Lion King and a... so next year alone I've got a list in front of me next so actually okay worth mentioning Dumbo is coming out oh, Tim um, Burton again it's Tim Burton again but the trailer actually fills me with a bit of hope because really? that... it doesn't look as if it's trying to just recreate the cartoon. 
but at the same time, it doesn't look as if it's trying to do the to do the Alice in Wonderland thing of being completely unlike the original story <laughs> either. It looks like it's this is just from a four minute trailer, right. mind you. Um, but just from the little I saw, for example, the two main characters are, it looks like like a little boy and a girl rather than Dumbo oh, yeah. and. And the mouse. Um, but then they're also... As long as they can do something about those crows at the end, because... <laughs> wow. Oh, they're definitely going to do something about them, aren't they? Well, interestingly, they're also doing a remake of The Lion King. Yes. And uh, pretty much all... Excited about this, Donald yeah, Glover. And, actually, um, they look kind of... Well, yeah. they've, they've really... They've made a real effort to cast all of the um, all of the actors as, you know, with African background. And so I'm really excited that James Earl Jones is yeah. coming oh, back to play... Um, oh. uh, not Mufasa... Uh, yeah, Mufasa. Is he? Oh, he's Mufasa. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I was thinking Mufasa. of Scar. Sorry. Right. Yes, Mufasa. Oh, no. Who's doing Scar? Not Jeremy Irons. Come on. I know. I can't he's remember so who it is. Perfect. I know. He's so wonderful. But that one will be interesting. Aladdin, that's meant to so, sorry, four movies coming out next year alone. Dumbo, Aladdin, The Lion King, and Lady and the Tramp, interestingly. But i very dubious about Aladdin. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's a Guy Ritchie film, so I am I, I immediately react negatively to it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like Guy Ritchie? Not a, fan. Not a Lockstock fan? No, and uh, his take on uh, Sherlock Holmes annoyed me. And mm. I am honestly struggle to think of anything of his that I've found even vaguely interesting. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. We're just looking at something. So, um, yes, Tutiful Edifor? Is... I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm too uh, scared to say it. I... But he plays Scar. He might be okay, actually. He's fantastic. He's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, he's great. I, it's just Jeremy Irons is such a great... Oh, he's such a wonderful Scar. Yeah. Dripping English sarcasm just down like Pat. Yes. Aladdin, you know, Aladdin is probably, if I had to choose one favourite you know, Disney cartoon, it's got to be either Aladdin or Mulan, I think, for me. And um, Really? Mulan? I love Mulan. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. So wonderful. Such it's a not, wonderful movie. not one of my favourites, but I'm... <clears throat> that, Mulan might be the only upcoming live-action uh, version of a film that I'm curious about, because I... I enjoyed the animated film but i felt like there was maybe more that they could add to it oh there definitely was if anything mulan was too short in my opinion and what i loved about mulan was that i don't i think rarely have i left a cinema feeling so just satisfied and just yeah i just felt great uh, after watching that movie it was just everything that i wanted it to be and um, this one looks interesting, though. I have a feeling they're going to take a more serious aspect yeah. with this one. I mean, yeah. I actually had a quick look through the, the cast list on IMDb, and there's actually no Mushu there, which I'm not, to be, to be honest, too upset about, because no, how can you possibly... Yeah. No, I love Mushu. Really? I don't <laughs> think I need a Mushu. <laughs> I was going to say, how could you possibly um, recreate? After Shrek, where he basically just did... Donkey as Mushu. Donkey for the same. Um, <laughs> it may it may be fraught to. Uh, yeah, to you. Him I out. just don't think that you could. Um, I just don't need to recreate it. Having said that, I'm very dubious about Aladdin for the reason for the yeah. just for the reason. I mean, Robin Williams. I mean. Yeah, it, it's Will Smith. I think it's Will Smith is doing which... the genie. Uh, and uh, again, I'm worried this is going to be you're watching Will Smith play the genie rather yeah. than just watching the genie. But you know. <clears throat> Which I don't sure. mind Will Smith, but but you're right. There, he he brings a certain power, star, charisma, whatever that would immediately stamp itself on the role. And the character of the genie is just so like. I mean, let's be yeah. honest. He made that movie what it was. Having said that, I'm not sure if you've seen the live action. Sorry, live action. The stage production of Aladdin. Okay, I was going to ask about this because I I believe that the Beauty and the Beast film was a, a kind of 
mutation of both the cartoon and the stage production. So is that the same thing with Aladdin? Or? I'm not sure. I haven't seen the stage production of... Okay. Yes, yeah, certainly in Aladdin there were some extra songs. You're never going to love as much as the ones that are in the... And, and all the songs in Aladdin, not one of them is, is a miss. They're all hits. They're yeah. fantastic. But I was really interested before I went and saw it, how the genie was going to be portrayed because I had the same reservations that I have now with Will Smith. You know, Robin Williams' performance was just so wonderful. How could you recreate that? And I don't know the name of the actor who played him. He was actually magnificent. Oh, really? He okay. was so, so good. He, he he had a very different performance to Robin Williams, which I think you have to. So it wasn't he... an impression, it was his own... No, no, no. Okay, great. I think if it had been an impression, it would have been dreadful. Yes. Um, but he really made it his own, and he, uh, he, he, was, he would have been sweating buckets the whole way through the thing because he was just so charismatic and blue he was, buckets and... yeah <laughs> well he so he he was he was uh he was a, a black actor but he was wearing like a blue um like a blue outfit essentially right. so they got away but you honestly didn't notice um what he was wearing so he just... wasn't he wasn't painted blue wasn't <laughs> no. like a, oh, okay great no, no no he just looked like a man who was wearing sort of a bit of a you know an audacious or ostentatious great. kind of blue um robe i suppose or outfit and he, he was just so great. And he, again, was the best thing about that production. Yeah. Uh, and everything else, you know, he stole every single scene that he was in. <laughs> and he was just so wonderful. My, my worry with Will Smith is that he's just, he's just, he's very charismatic. But he's very Will Smith. And it's one of the, he's one of those actors that it's hard to forget that it's him on the yeah. screen that you're watching. You, you know, you, there's, um, there's not that element. So. Which is the appeal. I mean, you look at a, um, mm. Men in Black or something. It is Will Smith that you're watching. I don't even remember his character's name. Like it was one letter, and I don't remember the letter um, because it's just yeah. it's Will Smith that you're watching. Yeah, exactly. So look, Dumbo. I'm gonna I'm going to just um, I'm just gonna be a little bit patient, see what comes. I'm gonna be a little bit optimistic. Tim about Burton. That. How many times do we have to see Tim Burton make a film? Tim Burton, the same be... film. Oh, he used to be so great, though. He used to make some great films, and he's yeah. just... You know, interestingly, I feel... I mean, this is a little off-topic. Yeah, but, uh, tangent, but still. <laughs> But I do feel as though Tim, the way that Tim Burton's filmmaking has progressed is not dissimilar to the way Johnny Depp's acting yes. has progressed. And they're almost in all the same movies together. Cartoonish regression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think they're a good influence on one another which is funny because Helena Bottom Carter was in that mix and I adore everything she's in I know she seems to have even she's in Alice in Wonderland and it's terrible but she seems to have avoided the taint I don't know she's just so magnificent yeah but um, no, definitely. I remember when Johnny Depp used to be cool and those days are long since gone. But um, but just getting back to the topic on hand, yeah. Dumbo, I'm going to be optimistic about. Aladdin, I'm not so sure about. And mm. that's partly because I have such you know, deep feelings about Aladdin and I, and I just don't want them to mess with it. Just a, a Geordie crime caper does not uh, suggest <laughs> yeah. itself in Aladdin. But, no. The yeah. Lion King, that looks like it might actually be all right. Yes. I, I didn't I think... mind The Jungle Book. I'm not sure if you saw the Jungle Book Life remake. I did, and it just uh, it, it fell more in the pointless category Ugh. for me. But it, it's fine. It was confectionery, <clears throat> and I imagine the Lion King will be the same uh, majestic vision and you know charming performances. And I think the Lion King will be fine. I just yeah. worry that it won't be anything more than that. The Lady and the Tramp is interesting. I, I had no love... idea that was being made. You know, neither did I before this. But um, no, I, I I just loved Lady and the Tramp when I was little. I haven't seen it for years and years and years. That will be an interesting one. Mulan. Um, Mulan. I'm hopeful for that. I, I didn't see... Ha- okay. 
uh, I just don't see how they can make this a great movie and still have it be only PG. That's that's my yeah, that's my yeah. worry with Milan. I mean, the reason that I love the, I mean, apart from the fact that it was just done so well, and I love the songs, the reason I love the cartoon so much was, um, I think it's the only Disney film that's actually genuinely given me goosebumps. You oh, know wow. that scene where, you know, the whole Hun army, you know, um, is yeah, arrayed on the top yeah. of that snowy mountaintop, and then there's like that war cry. Oh, even just thinking about it now, <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps. It was amazing. And, I mean, to your point, they could definitely have done more with it, but um, very interested to see what they do with that. But mm. I think I liked it at the time because I sort of recognised there was a bit of a more adult sort of um, yeah. element to, to that film. But it was done in a, in a, in a, in, you know, in a very G-rated way and it was fine, but I, I, I felt that you know, my intelligence wasn't being undermined or underestimated yeah. by the filmmakers. And I, think that I, and I remember feeling that way as a, as a kid. Which, by the way, is, is what I adored about... Uh, Moana. I loved Moana. Yeah, and, and Moana and Mulan. I, I love that it is just about these two young female protagonists who are put in a circumstance that, or or seek out, I should say, a circumstance that everybody tells them they shouldn't be doing, uh, and it's phenomenal. Mm, so it, there is a, a way movie. to make that G rated, but yeah. It's, yeah, I think it would be very difficult when you're sending a character off to war. You're going to have no, to actually... No, that's true. It is very different. But we'll, you know, we'll wait and see. But but what I did love about Moana was that, back to what we were talking about before, it, it was just, it wasn't trying to do anything. It wasn't trying to be anything. It was just telling the story. And that's why I think it was so great. Yeah. Although... The, you don't the, think so? No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm saying Moana had those same subversions of expectation, but I think perhaps less... Explicitly? Yeah, less overtly than maybe Frozen. Yeah. So, so you still had the the uh, Disney princess motif was being critiqued in the the. Little... In what way? Well, at the beginning of the the film, they set up here. Here is a princess. I mean, later on in the film, uh, Maui actually tells her she's a princess. She's the daughter of the leader of the island, uh, and she has a cute sidekick animal, which is such oh, a yeah, Disney motif. Yeah. No, that, that is true. Except in in the film, they they set up. Moana and her cute little piglet friend, when she goes off on her adventure, yeah, she gets a chicken instead. It's not cute. (laughs) It's annoying. But it's so funny. Exactly. It's it's funny and it's ridiculous. It's not uh, Pocahontas singing to a lovable raccoon. It's an annoying chicken that, uh, you know, is more problematic than it is helpful. Um, Yeah, no, I like, no, that's true, actually. But I like that they did that because the side, like the animal sidekick is, I've never been a huge I've never had much of a big deal about the animals. I, no, like, I can take them it. or leave them. But I did like that they, they sell did toys, make fun of that. Yeah, well, that's probably the only point of them, right? I mean, I'm just probably why I'm not too married to them. But I did like that they actually did try and have a bit of fun with that. One thing on the radar that I'm very concerned about is, <laughs> is they're going to make a Maleficent 2. Now, I don't know in yeah. what universe they thought that was a good idea. That was such a... I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Maleficent generally was a critical failure. And it's a failure in general. I mean, I don't know that it has that many fans. I could be wrong about that. But certainly everything I've seen about it has just been how it's a terrible movie and it kind of destroys your childhood. So, but yeah, apparently they're making a sequel. And, and logistically, where would that fit? I mean, they t- they've told the prequel. So is this a sequel after she's dead? Like, Well, I think it, no, I think it's going to be Spoiler whole... alert for <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Uh, yeah, in case you haven't seen that old. yet. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's going to be a whole movie with more backstory, or oh, like right. it's going to be a sequel to the backstory. How'd or she something. get the horns? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's... No, I mean, well, in the sense that I think it's 
I think it's now Maleficent and Aurora are going to go on these adventures together and defend <laughs> oh, the defend their land from invasion. I don't know. It, it's, yeah, I'm very, very, very pessimistic about how successful, how good that movie is going to be. And Lilo and Stitch apparently is on the cards. See, I like Lilo and Stitch. It hasn't been announced yet. Uh, no, but uh, again, I, I guess my, my general apathy shows here, but I just don't get the point. I love Lilo yeah. and Stitch. I don't need to see Stitch in... CGI 3D. <laughs> I never saw Lilo and Stitch, so I don't really know what to oh, think really? about that. It's quite cute. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've heard it's good. I think, well, in summary, though, my take on all this is, generally speaking, live action remakes, if there's no point to them other than to make money, then you really shouldn't be making them. Mm-hmm. Because I think it just makes people angry. Well, it certainly makes me angry. <laughs> and Or it's forgettable and it's pointless and, and, um, and you're just, you know, wasting people's money uh, while making lots and lots of money for yourself. I think if they're going to do something different with it, if they're going to actually reboot it, and I mean reboot in the sense that it's going to be, you know, the same story, but they're going to do something a little bit different with it, but it's still honoring the source material. I'm okay with that. Like I said, I actually quite liked Cinderella. Uh, It was a bit different to the, to the cartoon. It was different enough to the cartoon, which is probably why I liked it. It wasn't exactly trying to be, you know, point on point like the cartoon, like Beauty and the Beast was, but you know, I just, I guess I have a bit of a, a wariness to all of these. Yeah. And I just don't quite know, like, is, is Disney run out of ideas? Or are they just, you know, have they just thrown a, thrown their dice into the into the ring and just thought, well, I don't think I'm mixing my metaphors there. But um, <laughs> just to see if this works, if they can make money out of it. And because it has been successful so far, they're going to keep doing it. I just, what's, yeah. I just don't know. Well, that, that is the thing, isn't it? It's uh, this question of whether or not it's just harvesting nostalgia just just mm. empty cynical we're, we're just gonna feed you the same pablum you ate when you were kids and you know the, talk about mixing metaphors <laughs> uh but yeah th- just this idea that it's just easy money they just print money by harvesting their own ip in the same way that they used to harvest like the brothers Grimm and the americana storybooks and it, it i understand why it's happening i just like you i i don't see what can be gained from it mm. aside from that kind of you know when you would photocopy uh, a photograph copy it again and copy, copy it again copy and, of, copy yeah copy and it just it degrades itself to such a point that you start to wonder what was it that I loved about the original thing? Yeah. And and that that's my only concern. Just I've not seen one that really fulfills the promise of that kind of a remake. Maybe something like Mulan where it can actually flesh out a story that was wonderful but maybe told in a sketch form. Maybe maybe mm. that would fulfill that promise. But until And, then... you know, they could probably do that a bit more easily with something like Mulan because, I mean, that was just... Uh, the source material they had to work with was probably so minimal anyway. They, yeah. could, they could kind of do whatever they wanted with it and they just happened to make a really great film. But, in general, Disney just... Tell the story. That's that's my take. I'm on sure they'll listen Don't... to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be listening to this podcast. Okay, right, cancel it. Yeah. Anna Hitching says so. Aladdin's already in the can, but <laughs> the two idiots from Campion had a, an opinion. <laughs> Speak so. <for> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for, for joining me, for offering your, your very controversial uh, Disney-despising <laughs> thoughts. Clearly, you're a malcontent who cares not for the House of Mouse. I went to Disneyland, actually, for the oh, very first time just, uh, just two months ago, and I had I actually had the happiest day. What is the happiest place on earth. It was a wonderful, wonderful, oh, wonderful day. Excellent. I loved Disneyland. And I do love Disney. I, that's why That's why I feel so passionately about it, because I don't want them to spoil what they've already made. This, co- this podcast paid for by Disney. 
Can you write that off now, now on your taxes? Now that you've mentioned that in a podcast, can you write off your trip to Disneyland? You know what? That's actually not a... You're a genius. Let's that actually it. might be really Let's good. <laughs> so if you enjoyed this podcast, then please do subscribe. Uh, we have new episodes every other week. And if you like what we're doing here, please do give us a review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help. Uh, if you don't like what we're doing here, then be sure to tell everybody you know that you love the podcast and that you should check us out because we're great. That kind of reverse psychology is really successful. Um, so you'll be teaching us a real lesson. Um, I want to thank Anna Hitchings for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're more than welcome. And we will be back next time with another Campion Conversation. We hope that you can join us then. This episode brought to you by the year 1642. Have you ever wondered which year was the one in which both Galileo died and Sir Isaac Newton was born? Have you ever pondered when New Zealand was first sighted by a European or when exactly Tasmania was claimed as Van Diemen's Land by the Dutch? What year the 1642 Yellow River flood of the Ming Dynasty happened? I mean, if you have wondered that, you probably could have guessed uh, or at least, you know, Googled it or something. The year 1642. A proud sponsor of Campion Conversations. Campion Conversations is a production of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.